Start Battery Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Get up to a $25 gift card after rebate with the purchase of select Superstart batteries. Our professional parts people will test your old battery for free and recommend the right battery for your vehicle. For power, performance, and reliability, choose Superstart batteries only at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. From the studios of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C., you are on the Hill. Tom Fitzgerald here with you. This time on the Hill, we are joined by our guest, Jeff Mason. He's a White House correspondent for Reuters, and uh, he's pleased to join us this morning on the Hill. Jeff, thanks for joining us. I am pleased to join uh, you. We've got a lot to get to, and let's get right to it. As we sit here right now in Washington, D.C., uh, this city was rocked over the last 48 hours sure on was. news that Robert Mueller is done with his investigation uh, we we knew this was coming and the white house obviously has been saying for seemingly a year now that they're wrapping up soon and the wrapping up never seemed to to wrap up but um the tone from the white house leading up to this has always been well this had nothing to do with the president um now that the finality is here um how does that change what it is they're saying until we know what's actually in this report? Well, for starters, they're not saying very much. I mean, mm -hmm. Sarah Sanders, uh, the White House spokeswoman, put out a statement on Friday, I guess it was now, saying um, we look forward to the next part of the process, and it's pretty much up to Bill Barr, who's the attorney general, mm -hmm. and making clear that the White House had not been briefed, at least at that point, about the report. So the president right now is spending the weekend in, in Florida at his Mar-a-Lago estate, and he's got people around him who are no doubt uh, giving him some some advice and thoughts. Mm -hmm. um, one of those thoughts may be don't tweet because he hasn't tweeted at all uh, mm -hmm. over the weekend, which is pretty unusual for him. Yeah. Um, so he's holding back. And, and like everyone else, I think, in the country and certainly in Washington, uh, waiting to find out what's actually in the report. Yeah, it's so odd, too, in a way, because, you know, in the days leading up to this. It was he was literally tweeting almost every hour of every day about all kinds of things. Right. John McCain uh, was was the recipient of, of some right. of these tweets, which led a lot of people to believe there's some there might be something on this president's mind right now in anticipation of what was going to happen. I on think Friday. people thought he was anxious. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and that that was kind of a manifestation of that anxiety or whatever word you want to ascribe to it. Certainly mm -hmm. preoccupation uh, with what was coming from the special counsel. And yeah, he had a, a big tweet storm a, a week ago and then throughout the week um, opined on on a number of subjects, including Senator M McCain. But it. um you know, I think one thing that's worth mentioning, you said at the beginning that the, the investigation is over. It's not insignificant that he was able to finish. There was plenty of speculation over the last year and a half plus mm -hmm. that President Trump might intervene himself and fire Robert Mueller, cut off the investigation. Uh, he didn't do that. And we'll see still. I mean, as again, it probably bears repeating a number of times. We don't actually know what's in the report, but we knew, do know that he was able to finish it. And that's something. One of the things that was um, eyebrow raising to a lot of folks is that Robert Mueller never actually interviewed Donald Trump. That's right. And um, obviously the president's attorneys, um, 
uh, again and again and again tried to make sure that that did not happen. And there is a uh, unrepeatable quote from John Dowd at the end of Bob Woodward's book about why he didn't want uh, Donald Trump um, testifying or answering questions to Robert Mueller. Um, the president's legal team's gotten a lot of criticism uh, for the way they've conducted themselves. But ultimately, if they were able to keep the president from sitting in that chair across from Robert Mueller, were they successful in that respect, that they were able to go through this process without having him answer questions and possibly, you know, say something that could possibly perjure himself if the president has had this history of saying contradictory things or outright falsehoods? I mean, the president's legal team has one client, and that was the president of the United States. Mm -hmm. So they may have taken plenty of criticism. I think they could probably care less about that because the person who they needed to protect was Trump. And they clearly made the calculation that keeping him away from a one-on-one -on -one interview or an in-person interview was in the best interest of their client. When we sit here right now, we don't know how much, when, or if at all, uh, the current Attorney General Bill Barr will decide to release. Now, there is another component of this. There is a, an intelligence component of this that will go to the House Intelligence Committee um, and, and the Senate Intelligence Committee. Um, but what do we know about where William Barr is on this right now, given the fact that we just a couple of weeks ago went through confirmation hearings with him where he did talk about transparency and he did talk about openness and, and did talk about wanting the public to be able to know as much as they they could know sure. about this. Yeah, well, we know that. We know that he is in favor of sharing as much, or at least said that he was in favor and sharing as much as possible. He said in the letter that he delivered to both uh, leaders of the House Judiciary Committee and the Senate Judiciary Committee on Friday that he might be able to brief them this weekend. So here we are. It's Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> and Call us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah here's, here's our number. Um, and that he would be looking at what, what could be released. So, you know, it's TBD, yeah. TBD. He also said th something very interesting in, in that letter. Republicans have been railing against this investigation from the start. You know, the president obviously has called it a witch hunt ad nauseum at times, but he's not the only one. He's had a lot of friends up on Capitol Hill which have been attacking the makeup of the Mueller team, been attacking the FBI. William Barr in his letter said that he looked into how this special counsel has conducted itself and said that he found no issues with that. That seems to be a pretty important stamp of approval from a brand new attorney general who is just appointed by the president who is at the center of what is surrounding all of this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I guess I'm no expert on these things, but I yeah. think that the 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 law required him uh, in this case to say if the Department of Justice had needed to step in or had found reason to step in because the special counsel had in any way overstepped or done anything that was inappropriate. And you're absolutely right. He made clear in that letter that uh, DOJ, which he has he has only been leading for a couple weeks, so he's speaking a little bit for Rosenstein and and the others who were overseeing that investigation. But in general, he's putting his stamp of approval on the fact that there was no need 
uh, by the officials uh, looking or overlooking, th- or overseeing rather, uh, the the probe to step in and say, hey, no, you can't do that. I want to talk a little bit about your career because when we sit people down for these podcasts, we like to introduce them to sure. them in a little more uh, personal manner. People, no doubt, have seen you on television many, many times. Uh, they you know, know you as a familiar face, both in the briefing room and on television. Um, not as much in the briefing room lately yeah, because we don't have many briefings. <laughs> they cut into your, but cut into your yes. TV time there, haven't they? It's all just a plot to get everybody off television. Uh, I don't know. Uh, how did you How did you wind up in the White House briefing room as a, as a correspondent for Reuters? Well, uh, that's a good question. I started my career with Reuters in Europe. Um, I covered uh, the economy in, in Germany for three and a half years and then mm-hmm. was in Brussels covering the European Union for three and a half years. My dream job had always been to cover a campaign and I applied for a position with us, with Reuters, um, my employer, to come back in 2008 to the U.S. and cover that campaign. Um, we always thought that, that, or at least at the time, that that was going to be sort of the most exciting campaign of our lifetimes. The little did you know. It, little did we know. Obama, Clinton, and McCain. It was an exciting campaign, and it was a fascinating year. And then after um, the end of that year, the end of that campaign, like a, a lot of campaign reporters, I moved into the White House and... I've been there ever since. Um, as a result of your work at the White House, uh, you became the president of the White House Correspondents Association. Right. Um, and in that capacity, uh, at the beginning of the Trump administration, you had occasions where you had to speak out on behalf of journalists, mm-hmm. speak out on behalf of the Correspondents Association. Uh, the president has made it no secret that he is no fan of the press or no fan of press he doesn't like. Mm-hmm. Um what is that? What what was that experience like of having to go from being a, a journalist to basically stepping up and, and and taking the mantle of speaking out for journalism, not just defending your own work, right? Defending journalism in general, yeah. The idea of it. It's a good question. It was a little surreal. It's certainly, it's not a position that you expect to have as a reporter. And when I say position in this case, I mean position of having to go out and speak for your colleagues. Mm-hmm take reporters calls for that matter and and speak on television about what the press corps is doing and what we believe in um i was always pretty careful and and tried to stay pretty diplomatic uh because i think it's it was our job as and i'm no longer on the board but when i was on the board representing the press corps to be able to work with the white house um, without alienating them but also stand up pretty strongly for our values and particularly at the beginning of the Trump administration, <coughs> excuse me, they were under threat. I think that threat hasn't been removed. Um, we do know now, two years in, a little bit more about how President Trump operates. He does mm-hmm. issue a lot of very you know, caustic uh, rhetoric against the press. Um, but there haven't been that many times. And now I'm not saying there haven't been any, but there haven't been that many times when that rhetoric has translated into specific action against reporters. He's actually very, very accessible Mm -hmm. at the White House. He likes to talk to the press. He likes to talk to journalists. That does not excuse, however, or make it okay when he says things like the press is the enemy of the American people. I think one of the most, you know, well-known incidents was, was the incident when Jim Acosta had his, you know, White House hard pass uh, revoked. Um, That was a line for, for a lot of journalists because it raised the prospect. Um, We have this idea in this country of the first amendment of, you know, being able to speak to power uh, journalists to leader. 
and that that is a situation where people became concerned, rightly so, uh, that we're getting into an area where a position, a person in power can decide who it is who questions them. Um, did did you see that as a a, a momentary flare up in in Trump world about how it deals with reporters, or was 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 that a larger moment? where they were sending out a message here to the press corps, listen, you, 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 know, you challenge us on things like this and there's, there's going to be some consequences. It's hard to say. It's hard to say whether that was... I mean, it certainly became a larger moment. It's, it's hard to say how strategic it was on behalf of the White House. I mean, they did back down once uh, CNN issued or started its legal proceedings um, and, and got, you know, got a, a ruling that was favorable to them. <laughs> the White House could have sort of escalated it further and decided not to. But, you know, whether it was a big strategic decision or not, it was it was something that was very easy for those of us in the press corps uh, who were colleagues of Jim uh, to stand up for. I mean, it's never okay to say we're taking away a reporter's credentials because we don't like how you behaved in a, a press conference. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, they, they used the reasoning that he had allegedly, you know, sort of hit not hit but struck or pushed away the an, an intern's arm um and um that just wasn't the case i actually was sitting next to uh jim that day and uh, although i was watching you know paying attention to my own questions and and watching the pr- the the president it just it just was not a case of of him having misbehaved now that whether the president you know whether everyone agrees with jim's style of questioning um is a completely separate matter and i'm sure that there are people in the white house Mm -hmm. the president included who don't always love how he asks questions but the president called on him that Mm -hmm. day and um that was that was an unfortunate moment. I'm glad it didn't escalate further than it did, and I think it's unfortunate that it went as far as it did. Uh, if I remember correctly, Jim got on a plane to Paris, didn't he? Or, or did he? Go, go I don't know the answer. I thought, to I that. thought he. I thought he went over the, like the next day. He was on Twitter saying, "Guess who's covering this trip?" And okay, he was there without, the pres- yeah, he I was mean, there without credentials. Here's but he the thing: to I mean, you can, yeah. and that's you know, at the you asked about my presidency at the very beginning of my presidency of the Correspondents Association, there was a. a legitimate and large question mark over whether or not the press would be allowed a to stay in the briefing room mm-hmm. b whether the press pool um, would be able to to keep flying with the president on air force one because president trump then candidate trump uh, had not had journalists regularly traveling on his plane with him and so there was concern about that i was involved in, in negotiating that to make sure that that did not happen and we ended up staying in the press room but those were all yeah. the questions and the reason i bring that up when re- with regard to jim is yeah. we can do our job without being right there in the white house um you're never going to be able to stop legitimate journalism from continuing but we have to stand up for the right to be there and to be able to see and cover the most powerful person in the world early on in the trump administration how much was that of a function of them seriously considering that or just really you know we know now how fractious those early days of that administration was Mm -hmm. and just you know let's say it like not having their act together in certain respects and standing up an administration and standing up a transition that didn't soar off the ground on on, Mm -hmm. on day one well i can tell you from being in the room for those talks that they actually considered it they did yeah yeah they did yeah um 
we fast forward now to 2019. Mm-hmm. They've pretty much retreated from the podium at this point. Yes. Uh, yes. I mean, you don't, and that's why I joked a little bit about yeah. people not seeing me in the briefing anymore because they just, they're not having them. Um, that, I think, is strategic. Uh, and there are a couple aspects to that. One, I don't think they loved how those briefings were going, partially for what you were saying. I mean, I think they viewed it as some reporters trying to get TV time. Mm-hmm. Um I they say that one of the reasons they're not doing briefings is because President Trump talks to us all the time. And there is truth to that. Yeah. He speaks to us all the time and he does take questions pretty regularly. That, however, in my view, and I don't represent the press corps anymore, but right, I still right. um, well, care journal, about you, these things. Yeah, yeah, obviously. I mean, you're a member of the White House. You know, indeed. Um, I, I don't think that uh, I don't think it's a good development not to have a regular opportunity for reporters to challenge the representatives of the administration about what they're doing. But as somebody who is not, yeah, and, and I'll say here, as somebody who is not regularly assigned to the White sure. House, but does depend on those briefings, yeah. because as a reporter who is not a hard pass holder at the yeah. White House, I, you know, I turn to those briefings mm-hmm. for information mm-hmm. and to relate those into the stories I'm working on. It seems to me that in some ways... They they kind of have shut the briefing room down and they kind of have shut you out without actually kicking you off the property hmm. because you can ignore somebody who's there in the room with you and then not allow them to do their jobs. How are you able to still do your job if you don't have this regular access? Not only to just have the briefing, but to have the questions answered. Well, that's what the important thing is to get the questions answered, not that people will, you know argue with each other or bicker at each other sure. across a podium. Sure. I can answer that. Yeah. Um, and again, I would start my answer by saying I don't think it's okay that there are not briefings. Number one, because there are journalists like like yourself and there are, there are others who get their news from having or get their information from from watching those briefings, from taking away the uh, the information that is shared there and getting it out into your stories or your newscasts. Um, also, there are reporters who don't have the opportunity to go back and talk to White House officials the way those of us who are there every day uh, often have to get just to get that one question in the briefing. So all of that said, as a as a preamble, um, you the briefing room is not closed. I mean, we are there even if Sarah Sanders isn't coming to the podium and there are parts of the White House, limited parts, but there are parts of the White House sort of right behind that door. <laughs> uh, sliding, that sliding, sliding door, yes. Ding, ding, ding. Yes. Where and I think you can walk about three or four feet. You Well, it's, you can walk a little further yeah, yeah, than that. Upper, it's yeah, called lower press lower down press there press, where yeah. there are spokespeople and, and deputies uh, sitting, and then you can go up to what's called upper press, which mm-hmm. is just steps from the Oval Office. Right. Um, where Sarah has her office and others. So we we are able to go and ask questions of other people, um, and that is important, but it's not enough. But people should know if they've ever seen those old pictures of the old days in FDR where, like, literally the lobby of the West Wing was filled with reporters with, you know, fedoras and press hats and yeah. notebooks. That's not happening That's not anymore. the case anymore. The, the, there are still a few fedoras around, <laughs> but not in the West Wing lobby. <laughs> I, I've, I've tried that look occasionally, and I always get You've the same answer. You've got enough hair. You don't need it. I always get the that. same answer. What are you trying to be? <laughs> <laughs> and I say, obviously, something that's not successful here with this hat. Um, Jeff, as we head in now to uh, a presidential campaign. Yeah. Which now on the Democratic side, you know, they might have to hold these debates, 
you know, in the Capital One arena pretty soon just to hold the number of candidates. Um, what can we expect as this president moves into full campaign mode? Because he, he never really left the campaign, did he? We're, no. we're not going to hear a, a different voice out of Donald Trump. He's maintained almost continuously from 2015 when he first announced the same tone, the same demeanor, always on the attack, always campaigning. So don't candidates have to present a kind of new version of themselves when you're selling a selling a new improved product? I don't think there's going to be a new version of Donald Trump. I think he will continue to sell what people uh, you know voted for yeah. in in 2016 and the the change will be and we've seen this already at some of the rallies that he has held promises made promises kept mm -hmm. um is one of the banners that they've been using and that's what he's going to say he's going to say look you told me or you elected me for these reasons this is what you wanted this is what i've done now there are a lot of things that he hasn't done mm -hmm. one of them uh is the wall i mean that that issue was such a a um a big one in 2016 and has been such a big one recently obviously with the government shutdown um, and the president insists that there are portions of the wall uh, that are being built, but um, that this emergency declaration that he ended up making in order to get funding for the wall is, is going to be tied up in the courts. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm curious to see how supporters react to that. You've already seen some, like yeah. Ann Coulter, uh, pulling away and saying this is not the man. Yeah. You know, he's not fulfilling the promises that we required. But Ann your Coulter, question, the author of In Trump We Trust, uh, Bingo. who is now kind of done a yeah. complete uh, 180 yeah. on, on the whole whole issue. But I do think you're right that he's, you know, he has been in campaign mode really his entire presidency. And the the change now compared to the beginning of the last couple of years is, um, though he continues to use Hillary Clinton a little bit as a foil, she is not running. He's going to have this myriad of other Democrats to either attack or compare himself to and that's that's going to shift the dynamic a little bit. And that's the question for the Democrats right now, not just who can get nominated, but who can beat Donald Trump. Yeah. And those are in some ways kind of two different questions right now, because, um, you know, that's the whole ball game here. If you're a Democrat. Right. Beating Donald Trump, not, you know, getting to first place in the Democratic race. Um, Trump knows this. And he is already trying to frame the Democratic Party for his own devices and he his is. own viewpoint. Um, one of the things that he was never shy about the first time out was injecting himself into the other party's race. Mm -hmm. Remember the famous statement that he made, Russia, hello, are you listening, happened during the Democratic Convention in the summer of, of, of 2016. Um, it appears likely that Trump, without a formidable Republican challenger of his own, might be perfectly willing and able to jump in and start opining on the Democrat uh, campaign as it's going along. Oh, yeah. No, I think you've already seen him begin to do that. I, mean, I was in the Oval Office the other day when um, it, it was the morning that Beto O'Rourke, I think it was the same day that Beto O'Rourke had announced his candidacy mm -hmm. and somebody asked him, one of my colleagues asked him about it and he made a remark about Beto's sort of big arm movement. The, the arm waving? Yeah. And said something about, I, I'm not sure if that's how he is or if he's crazy. And that, you know, 
crazy comment ended up being a big part of the news cycle. I thought so. crazy was the Bernie Sanders nickname though. Was it? Was well, it? yeah. I mean, he's got he's got <laughs> nicknames for all of nickname. them. He's yeah. got nicknames for all yeah. of them, and that is his way of of um, affecting that part of the race. So, what will the next few years bring for you? Or are you going to go out on the campaign trail uh, with the president and? Um, how do you cover a campaign? Is your coverage of a campaign ostensibly any different than the coverage of an administration? Yes. It's, I mean, you, when you're covering a campaign or if you're a reporter who's focused pretty much entirely on that, came, uh, that campaign, then it's a lot less policy and then it's a lot more politics. Right. The two things are intertwined. Um, but at least at Reuters, when you're covering the White House, we do a little bit more on the policy side <laughs> than than the politics. Although with President Trump, it's so interconnected that right. it's it's hard to make a big uh, differentiation between them. But I'm not sure yet if I'll be covering the Democrats full time or if I'll be sticking with President Trump the whole time or maybe doing a mix of both. I do think it's um, I think it's important for reporters to be able to get some exposure to both sides because it's our job to be neutral and it's our job to, to tell the story and. Uh, I, f I felt definitely in 2008 that having covered both the Democrats and the Republicans um, gave me a good position to speak authoritatively and write authoritatively about uh, the race as a whole. One of the strengths White House correspondents, though, I think have when they go out on the campaign trail is that base knowledge yeah. of, uh, of what an incumbent has said and what an incumbent has done mm -hmm. and be able to compare and contrast that with what they say to voters out on the campaign trail. And, and that's invaluable a lot because sometimes there is some difference between what people say out on a campaign trail and what they've actually done or not got accomplished Absolutely. Uh, in their own administration. Um, we want to thank you so much for uh, spending some uh, time with us uh, on the On the Hill podcast, uh, both on our broadcast and uh, coming here on the podcast for the first time. We've, it's really been a pleasure. My pleasure. We Thanks thank for you, having thank me. Thank you for your work that you've done with the White House Correspondents Association when you were president as well, too, because you've been an important voice in, in standing up for journalists and standing up for the First Amendment and uh, standing up for the things about journalism uh, that are important to people in this country. So we thank you for thank that. Thank you, well. sir. All right. And uh, we thank you for uh, joining us. Here, this time on the On Hill podcast, our guest has been Jeff Mason from Reuters. We'll see you next time. From Washington, D.C., the On Hill podcast, I'm Tom Fitzgerald. We'll speak with you next time. Ven a JCPenney y termina tus compras navideñas con brillantes descuentos como hasta 70% en joyería después del cupón. Además tenemos velas, mantas suavecitas y más desde $7.99 y miles de doorbusters en marcas como Adidas, Champion, Disney y Carters. Recoge tu pedido el mismo día. Es rápido y gratis. Estará listo en dos horas o menos hasta las 3 p.m. en Nochebuena. JCPenney, celebraciones que valen la pena. Ofertas válidas hasta el 24 de diciembre en selección de estilos. Aplican exclusiones. Doorbusters excluyendo los cupones. Detalles en la tienda jcp.com.